So again, Kohelet, the preacher of Ecclesiastes, he wants us to be realistic about life and about church under the sun, but not become all-out cynics. He doesn't give up on going to the house of God. Verse 1, he says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. I think if it was in Scottish, we would say, gird your loins when you come to the high kirk of Christ or something like that. Watch, watch your steps. What, is, what does this mean? Guard your steps. Well, for you and me, who we should be used to this by now in the wisdom literature in Ecclesiastes, he's going to give you a, a, a statement that is, this is better than that kind of a statement. And what he says is, watch your steps when you come to the house of God because to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. You see, when you and I go to the house of God to worship, there are going to be times when we are wise and times when we are foolish. There's going to be wise people and foolish people sometimes. And you and I are oftentimes a mixture of wise and foolish at the same time. They're the wise who draw near to listen and the foolish who offer sacrifices of fools. And I want you just to notice here that the church under the sun can be a place where we offer the sacrifice of fools. I think Jesus, he tells a story to kind of explain and illustrate this point. that There are foolish and wise all at the same time. Imagine you're a farmer, Jesus says in a story. You have a field and you've tilled the field. You have fertilized it with the organic fertilizers. And you and your people have got your grains of, of wheat and you spread them out onto the seed of the, of the field. Wheat seeds go into the field and you then go to sleep when you're sleeping, your enemy comes and he gets ragweed. And he puts ragweed all over your field and you're cursed with those allergies and the wheat starts to grow up and as the wheat grows up, what happens else? The weeds that your enemy planted grow up. And so the people ask the farmer, well, what should we do? Should we uh, uh, tear up the, wheat, the weeds right now? Just rip it all out. And the farmer says, no. Because we would rip out the wheat and destroy the wheat if we tried to get out the weeds right now. Let the wheat and the weeds grow together till harvest and then they'll be separated. This is the church now. That there is much wheat and weeds growing together. That the wise and the foolish, the believers and the non-believers, we grow together. And even in our own radically corrupt hearts, uh, wheat and wheat grow in one's own life. But when we come to the house of God under the sun, we see this thing that there is a lot of the sacrifice of fools. That we are messed up and a broken lot that we are sinners and we are saints. We are sinners, but we are also saints that Christ, by His redeeming blood and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, He actually transforms what is a caravan of fools who offer the sacrifice of fools 
into the communion of saints. That's what we are. We are the fellowship of holy and deeply loved saints of God. I think this means a couple things. First, it means that we are not a cynic. He says, when you go, draw near to listen. I mean, he's assuming that we, we still are going to the house of God, that it is becoming, like we still go from time to time. It's a habit. But second, one of the things that this means, we recognize that we oftentimes can give the sacrifice of fools. It means that, look, without categorically drawing the house of God through the mud, because that doesn't make Jesus happy when we, when we do that, We have to recognize that the church under the sun can be every bit as absurd and ugly and dangerous as the world. Sometimes it's worse. Because the preacher is aware of the pain that the church can bring under the sun. He says, yes, we say with a sigh. The church can wound people. And we go further and admit, sometimes the biggest fools are those who wear Sunday clothes and carry Bibles. Sometimes I've been one of those. But then we say, I understand why you feel skittish at the thought of church. But this is who Christ died for, who he loves. So we don't abandon uh, nor reactively defend the house of God. If we cover up and we we make excuses over the things that are done in the church under the sun, that's just like putting lipstick on a pig. You ever heard that phrase? You may put some makeup on it, you put some, I don't know, lipstick on it, but it still snorts and eats trash and rolls in the mud and no one is being fooled. That we, as the church under the sun, can be a caravan of fools. And what we see that the caravan of fools do is we talk when we should listen. And we do evil thinking that we're doing good. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifices of fools. Because listen, the sacrifices of fools, they do not know They are doing evil. This is an absurdity under the sun. That the fool offers a sacrifice to God. He performs a service to God and considers that what he is doing is good, pleasing, and good for the world. But actually it is evil. They don't even know that they're doing evil. That they could be causing harm, but think that they are helping And this is done by church people. In his memoir, uh, Losing My Religion, William Lobdell, he recounts how he was a reporter on the church scene in America for a well-known newspaper. He could no longer believe in God. And his tone is not bitter, but what tore at his soul the most was that the willingness of congregants and churches across America to hurt others and to defend those who do hurt others. And what we see that is absurd is that the church under the sun does these things 
thinking that we're doing something good for God. I think this is a lot closer to the idea of taking the name of the Lord in vain than when we stub our toe and we say his name. This is a church foolery where we do harm in the name of God and yet think that we're doing good. It's better to draw near to listen. And he explains in verse 2, so don't be hasty with your mouth. Don't be rash with your mouth. Nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. As Nacho Libre says, take it easy. (laughs) Slow down. And here's a way for us to test if this fool is you or me. You see, the church-going fool assumes that what they think and what they feel are also exactly what God thinks and what God feels. And so therefore, I must speak my views because they're God's views. God is on my side on this issue, X, Y, or Z, right? And the foolish churchgoer is emboldened because obviously God is on our side. And we slap a Bible verse on it and quote our favorite preacher. But be not hasty. Kohelet, the preacher of Ecclesiastes, says, take it easy because listen, God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. In contrast, the wise person is more careful. He says, I, I need to listen more. I need to hear more. Most of all, I need to hear from the Lord. Because my feeble little thoughts are not the same as his thoughts. His thoughts are high because he is in heaven and we are here on earth. The wise draw near to listen. You know, the most quoted words of the Old Testament are a confession of faith from Deuteronomy 6 that Moy read for us. It says, Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, hear. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. So that daily, weekly, the wise among the people of God have understood that they need to draw near to listen. The wise know that their views and God's views are oftentimes frequently not the same. And so we recognize, yes, the church can do much harm proudly, blindly, even in the name of serving God, thinking that we're doing good. This is church under the sun. And God opposes this proud caravan of foolish Christians who talk when we should listen, doing evil, thinking that we're doing good. And yet here is good news for us that our God is in the very business of saving the very people that He sometimes opposes for our tonteria. He saves us. Our God is this one because there was a man named Saul of Tarsus. Amen? And he offered the sacrifice of fools. He thought he was serving the Lord and he did not know that he was doing evil. 
And then one providential day, in his zeal to stamp out the, her the, the heresy of the Christians, he was leading a caravan of fools from Jerusalem to Damascus, and he was blinded and stopped in his tracks. And Jesus showed him that he thought he was doing good, but he was doing evil. And from the cross, Jesus has said about you and me, He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. That Jesus actually died for people who do evil, thinking that they are doing good. And He forgives them. And yet, when we consider the depth of our corruption and our sin, we are willfully blind, like, like those in the Gospels. We don't want to know the evil we do. It feels nicer to be than good guys. But we are not. Jesus died for people who do evil thinking that they're doing good. And he's about the business of saving even foolish church people like us who offer sacrifices of fools. And so he says, so, so watch out. Guard your steps and recognize that God is in heaven and you on earth. So worship Him. And we should be quiet. God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. You see, we are talking about the worship of the Creator God. That as we worship Him, we should gain perspective that He is God and we are not. God is God and we are not. And so this leads us to repentance and reverence. You know, in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, when the glory of the Lord, the very train of His robe fills the temple, and Isaiah is there, what happens? He is seeing God's glory. He is worshiping the Lord. And he says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips amongst a people of unclean lips. That even the prophet who speaks for God is aware that his mouth is unclean. You see, true worship will make us hold our mouth shut in silence. That God is God. And we are not, and so we must be quiet. Or Zechariah 2.13, or Habakkuk 2.20, and the prophet Habakkuk in this situation, he is dealing with impending doom. That Assyria has destroyed much of Israel and there is violence and oppression everywhere. And now a new superpower, the Babylonians, they're on a rampage and they're about to destroy Jerusalem. And we in our own lives, like the people of Israel, we run scared, turning to whatever idol or false god or power that we can find. And yet God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He rides upon the storm and plants his footsteps on the sea. And Habakkuk 2.20 says this, But God is in his holy temple. Therefore let all the earth be quiet. I think the best Advent or Christmas hymn, the best one, uh, was written in Greek in the 4th century and it's called Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. It's one of those bah humbug Christmas hymns. You need it with a big pipe organ. And it says, let all mortal flesh keep silence. 
and with fear and trembling stand. Ponder nothing earthly-minded, for with blessing in his hand, Christ our God, to earth descending, comes our homage to command. Let all mortal flesh keep silent. For you and I know that not only is God in heaven and that you and I are on earth, but Christ has actually descended our very God, that He claims our allegiance, our awe, and our worship. He claims this earth as His own. And He has now ascended, and He rules from heaven and over the earth as well. And so, let all mortal flesh keep silent. Watch our steps. Watch our words. Verse 4. When you vow a vow to God, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. He's talking about making promises. New Living Translation, I think, helps explain it. He says, when you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through on your promise. For God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all of the promises that you make. It's better to say nothing than to make a promise and to not keep your promise. Now clarify here, what he says when you make a vow. There are times when it's appropriate to make formal vows. Promises to God, covenants of marriage, membership in a church, or when you bring your child before the church for baptism, you make vows to unreservedly dedicate them to God even. There are also informal promises that we make. and He says, let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger, I, it was a mistake, I didn't mean that promise that I said. I didn't mean it. Because God is the kind of God who keeps His promises. He keeps His oath to His people. And so, He holds us to ours. So we're just careful with what we... we got to be careful with what we promise. Careful with the things that we say we're going to do. Like the very song that we just sang. Take my life and let it be wholly consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Now this song can be a setup for a trap. A trap in the temple. You just sprang the trap and now the boulder is chasing you like Indiana Jones. Take my life. It's like a booby trap type of a song. I mean, did you mean it? When you and I said, here I am, all of me. Take my life. It's all for thee. Or do we actually mean, here I am, some of me, take my life, part of it is for thee. And we can say that maybe as a, as a prayer, we hope that that would be the case, that we want to do that. We say, take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Or do we actually mean, take my silver and my gold, most of it what I withhold 
Here I am, some of me. Or the other psalm, I surrender all. Do we, are we actually, I think, saying oftentimes, I surrender some. Do we mean what we say when we sang that song? And here's the good news, actually. Is that God doesn't need us to make big promises for Him. He doesn't need them. He doesn't need us to have big dreams for His kingdom. Why? Because He's the King. Jesus rules over all of it now and forever, and He doesn't need anything from us. Deacon Mopolis' favorite, one of his favorite old Lecrae songs says, Who the King? He the King. Who the King? He the King. Jesus Christ, He rules this thing. He does not need us, much less does He need us to promise great things for Him. Verse 7, for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. The meaning of that phrase two times comes up. It's like saying, he has big dreams. Ah, big dreams. She plans to do great things for God. We're going to change the world for God. It's absurd. A vapor, vain. Because God alone is king. He doesn't need our great dreams for Him. He doesn't need our promises. And this is good. It means that in a sense, we, we get to rest. We can rest. Christ Jesus is the one who rules. He subdues us to Himself. He rules us. He defends us. He restrains and conquers all of His enemies and, our, and His enemies. He does that. What does that look like to revere Him? It's simply the image from the psalm that Moy read in our call to worship. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and marvelous. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. I, you know, over the last six years, I've had a front row seat of what a weaned child with his mother looks like. What's a, a weaned child is, you know, that two-year-old, that three-year-old child who's recently stopped nursing and eats food on their own. And for a couple years, this weaned child has been nurtured by their mother, fed, cuddled, kissed, reassured. See, a weaned child with her mother is one who knows instinctively, I am safe, I'm secure, I'm provided for. I'm loved. See, a two-year-old who is weaned may be hungry, may be angry, may be hangry, may have scraped his knee, but when he goes into his mother's lap, cries and goes running, mom scoops them up, and there's this thing that happens. They slow down, they stop crying, and they rest. This is the good news for us. That God doesn't need us to promise great things for Him. We are but little toddlers. The in Christ Jesus, the Lord God Himself, scoops us up and says, You are safe, secure, provided for, and loved. 
I got it all. Amen.